What is up, people? And thank you so much for listening in to this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I am your host, EJ Stewart. Good show lined up today. I'm excited to talk about a lot of these topics. Some of them fun, some of them not so fun. Patrick Mahomes, um, man, what a deal. I mean, it really, really leaves you speechless every time I think about that contract. Ten years, $503 million contract extension. By far the, the, the richest deal we've ever seen in professional sports. The fact that it's coming from a football player is even more shocking, despite obviously Mahomes' greatness and his talent and his age. Still, truly a groundbreaking kind of a kind of a deal that he was able to make with the Kansas City Chiefs. So we'll talk about that at the top of the show. We'll also be talking about the Big Ten uh, football schedule. They've already announced that there will not be non-conference play for any of the Big Ten teams this year. Obviously, we have a a you know, declining situation in terms of how the country is handling this coronavirus pandemic in the moment. Right now, things are not looking good in the majority of the states here in the U.S. It seems like we're nowhere near the end of the light at the end of the tunnel. So the Big Ten making a preemptive move. But when you see this kind of preemptive move happening so early, you start to wonder, you know, it's can the season even happen? So we'll, we'll give you guys our thoughts on that. And lastly, we're going to have to talk about Deshaun Jackson and his uh, anti-Semitic comments. And, and, and Stephen Jackson, uh, the former NBA player, you know, now podcaster on All the Smoke podcast, uh, doubling down and defending uh, Deshaun Jackson for the anti-Semitic comments. So we'll talk about that at the end of the show. So it should be a good one. Uh, Kendall joins me on this show. And Kendall, I told you before, I wanted to bring up a topic that we actually talked about at length off air last week. And I'm only bringing it up again because I see he's trending today. We're recording this podcast on July 9th, uh, a Thursday. Joe Johnson right now is trending. And I posted it on Twitter and I got a couple of responses. And I want to put it back to you. To me, Kendall, and by the way, if you want to know why he's trending, he's playing right now in the basketball tournament, a.k.a. the TBT. You know, he's by far the most accomplished player to be playing in this tournament. And I think Joe Johnson has kind of become a little bit of a folk hero and uh you know, he kind of has a cult following amongst basketball fans because he feels like the ultimate hooper. You know, he, he played in the big three. He'll play in the TBT. You know, even though he's made, you know, over $200 million in his career, he's had a very well-established career. Uh, nonetheless, even the way he plays, he's a one-on-one type of guy. He's just out there to hoop. And, like, him and Jamal Crawford, to me, are like, you know, they're like almost folk heroes. A shout-out to Jamal Crawford, by the way, who's back in the league. He's going to be going to the bubble playing for the Brooklyn Nets. But, Kendall, I, I'm bringing this up again with uh, ISO Joe because I told you this last week, and I did even some more research today, and I'm convinced Joe Johnson deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Is that wow. a crazy take, or can you see where I'm coming from? Um, obviously, there's a case for both sides. You know, I mean— I'm devil's advocate, since you clearly think he's a Hall of Famer, I'll let you explain that. But my case for why he wouldn't be a Hall of Famer is, look, he's never an elite player uh, in the league at any point of his career. He's never a top five, ten guy. Um, his team's never – he never played in the NBA Finals. Um, for the most part, his team's uh, got tripped up in the postseason early. Um, or if they got to the conference Finals, got swept. So – it's it, you know it's tough for me to say that Joe Johnson is a Hall of Famer if the if the bar for a Hall of Famer is elite player you know a guy that 
you know, was was one of those guys when he played, and that that just was never Joe Johnson. What about the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame says that that's the bar elite player? It's not when I look at Dino Raja and Calvin Calvin Murphy. Well, Calvin Murphy, man, let's put some. I I look, I love Calvin Murphy. Yeah, he had like twenty nine, thirty points a game. I love Calvin Murphy. I don't know if he was having that much. I love Calvin Murphy. Um, One of the all time. Best scorers in college basketball history, and also one of the all-time best uh, dressers in NBA history too. Um, I love Calvin Murphy. One season, he averaged twenty-five points as a guy who's five-nine. You know, I think to me, like he—he's what what people think it is. Like that's what Calvin Murphy was in his time. Like when it was, you know, killing it with with the Celtics. Like, yeah, Calvin Murphy. Yeah, he had one year like that. Calvin Murphy. Yeah, know. and Calvin Murphy had like you know he had he was a, a good scorer for a longer period, but he had one year where he was an All Star. Um, we averaged 25 points a game. So, that actually was the year he made the All-Star game. He made the All-Star game the next year. But the year before that, he averaged almost 26 points a game one season. I mean, obviously, Calvin Murphy is a, is a great player. Bill Bradley is a great player. Dino Raja, very good player. And the international guys, is you know, this we can go back and forth about what that is. Yeah, Dino Raja, is. he got in. Dino you know, Raja. Vlade uh, Diva got in like that. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I think Joe Johnson is better than every guy I just named. I don't. I don't really see an argument. So, so the Dino Roger thing, you know, he there's a whole other uh, category now that they've created for international players. So you're gonna get some goofy names going forward in terms of guys that like their NBA career. Like even Yao Ming got in because of this international thing, rather than his yeah. But Yao Ming, I mean Yao Ming was like a superstar. So I can I can live with that. Even right, if right, he, right. Even if his career was cut short. Yeah. Like, but, like, I like I personally could live with like to me. Jonathan Petrov is absolutely a Hall of Fame. I have no problem with that. He yeah, I mean, died, unfortunately. We're going to talk about whether or not right. the, the Hall of Fame should have this internet. Right. I'm talking about, but I'm saying based on what they what they've established, I have no problem with that. But the rest of these, I mean, I think the bar. Obviously, we talk about raising the bar. You know, recent years. Um. I don't know the last guy that we've seen that played in the in the modern era of the NBA. Let's say since you know two thousand uh, or ninety nineteen ninety even that is like that sh- shouldn't be in. You know, a lot of the guys that we're talking about that shouldn't be in are guys that that played their primes were in the sixties, seventies, and before that. Um, That's a good point, actually. Now that you make yeah. that case, I agree so, with that. Somebody, like a guy like Chauncey Billups, like isn't in yet. Ben Wallace isn't in yet. Those guys have their own separate arguments to make. But you know, they're you know Joe Johnson kind of got to wait in line a little bit, you know. And I agree, he has to wait in line. I'm just saying that in my case for why he should make it, Joe Johnson is a seven-time All Star. In his prime, he made the All Star game seven out of eight years. That's not a like a good player. That's like a great player. You're, you're All Star game almost every year. On a team that, and like he's not playing on a bad team, just filling up numbers. He's playing on teams that all those years they were going to the playoffs. So you're on a perennial playoff team. Seven out of eight years you went to the playoffs. In some years your team was making noise where maybe you won a round or two. I know they never got to the finals. They never really were a serious finals contender. Maybe with that one exception they had with um with uh who was that coach? Was it was it uh Budenholzer? Um yes. But but besides that, you know you said okay they pretty much were like you know you knew they were a second round exit at best. But still, every year they were in the playoffs, and still every year um, they were racking up, you know, between 45 and 55 wins. So for a guy to be that good for that extended period of time, 
playing a position where, yes, you could say the two guard was on decline, but even still to make the All-Star game as a guard, he's also in the time where he's battling against the best point guards. Now, one of the biggest arguments against him to me is only one time making All-NBA. That is is a is a a crucial knock on his resume that I don't have any defense for. My only defense would be, again, I would say he played in an era where the point guards' numbers, I don't say inflated because that suggests that like they're doing like they're, they're getting away with something that other guys couldn't get away with. But the way the game was played is being is different. So guards are able to put up much better numbers than they they have been in the past. So point guards rather. So when you're 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 comparing Joe Johnson's numbers with some of these point guards that are getting to now shoot the ball twenty times a game, and those guys have the ball in their hands all the time, it it it, it made it I think more difficult for him to to get that notoriety. But one of the best clutch shooters of his era, one of the best players at his position for his era, and that's inarguable because again he's making an All Star game every single year for eight years pretty much. Um, and again, if you're looking at what the standard has been for who makes it to the Hall of Fame. Guys that make seven All-Star games and guys that are that put up the numbers he put up during his prime, those guys are in the Hall of Fame. Like, I, I don't I don't see, again, there are guys who didn't put up those numbers and didn't make those All-Star games that are in it. I get the point about how it seemed like, for whatever reason, the Basketball Hall of Fame was way, way more generous to players of older eras for whatever reason. I don't know why that is. Now they're more generous in terms of giving away the, the international spot every year. Um, but in the past, yes, it seemed like there were guys that just shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Not to say that they're not great players or that not to say that they weren't stars. But, again, to me, again, I mean, Bill Bradley is a Nick. I love Bill Bradley. Um, two-time champion. But, you know, you can't be a guy averaging 15 points a game for most of your career and tell me you're a Hall of Famer. That doesn't make sense to me. Kevin Murphy made one All-Star game. You you can't tell me that's a Hall of Famer. And you can't, and then tell me that Joe Johnson who made seven All-Star games, was the best player on his team. It was leading his team to the playoffs. And I get, you could say, yes, he wasn't elite. I agree with that. Yes, his team never got to the championship. I agree with that. But, again, I'm just looking at what we've allowed to get into the Hall of Fame. And if that's the bar we're setting, I don't see how he's not a Hall of Famer. That's me. I don't, I don't. I but then, the, yeah, I mean, I, I, see your, see I see your point, but I guess the issue is with that argument would be like, if we look at the lowest of the low bar, we if we look at the word the low the lowest on the spectrum of Hall of Famer, then there are a lot of guys that aren't in the Hall of Fame right now that should be in. You know what I mean? Like someone like Sean Marion should right. be in over some of these other guys. You know? That and I in. guess. I, and I, I get that, but I think it's a different we case. Everybody in. I get that, Kendall. Of their era. Well, I get that. I think it's different when you're talking about guys. I think Joe Johnson to me is different because you're talking about a guy who wasn't alpha on his team. Like for example, Sean Marion, great example. A guy, great numbers, multiple time All Star. Yes, if you consider the guys that are in ahead of him, he has a case. I'm not going to make it for him, and one of the reasons why I really wouldn't go that far out for Sean Marion is because. I think there's something to being the best player on your team and carrying a city on your back. Like, and Sean never did that. He was always the second or third guy on on good teams. And when the, the when he was on teams that didn't have that guy, he never they never did anything. You know what I'm saying? And that's not a, a diss to Sean Marion. Again, 
Very versatile player, excellent rebounder, great defender. Obviously, we know what he can do above the rim. Really good player. Borderline great player. But it's a different ask when you're telling me, hey, you're going to be facing some double teams tonight. Hey, you're also going to be kind of our pseudo point guard, point forward. You know, hey, you're going to go on, but you're also going to be guarding Dwayne Wade as well. Like, that's a different ask. So I think it, I think context matters. I wouldn't just, I agree. I, I don't think we should just go down the line and say, okay, well, if this guy's an all fame, let's just find every other guy who has similar numbers and didn't get a chance. I think I look at, okay, well, what was the circumstances? And to me, again, Joe Johnson, the Atlanta Hawks before Joe Johnson, I mean, they were a joke. I mean, they had the Dikembe Mutombo era, which was like two years of decent basketball with him and Steve Smith. And then they were just awful for like six years, like just just complete bottom feeders. And Joe signed with Atlanta and took his game to the next level and put that city and that team on the map. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't see... I don't see how a guy, to me, I don't see how a guy can make seven out of eight All-Star games, six in a row, in the prime of his career. And to me, at the end of the day, you're talking about how these guys were in their primes. And you say that guy was not a Hall of Famer. I don't yeah. I don't get that. Joe Johnson is a great No injuries, guy. no issues. He also played forever. <laughs> like, you know, he, like longevity. Yeah, longevity is incredible. Uh, one of the most clutch players in the league in his prime, year in and year out. Um, there are certainly, certainly cases that he just... It just hurts him. His the way he was supposed to stamp his ticket to the Hall of Fame in Brooklyn, and he couldn't do it. You know, and it's unfortunate that that never happened um, because KG and Paul Pierce were were past their prime, and Darren Williams had injuries and kind of fell off. And he was the one that actually lasted the longest, which surprised a lot of people. I think a lot of people thought uh, Darren Williams would be the guy, but. Um, so, so because the Brooklyn situation didn't go as great as people expected it to, um, he's now up in the air, and I think it'll take a while. I think he'll. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm not saying he should be in first ballot at all. I mean, it should yeah. take it should take him in an eternity. I'm just saying. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting. When we when we when when they do the retrospective and they start looking at guys that put in 20 years from now, I'll be ringing the I'll be banging the, the drum about Joe Johnson. I, I feel like. Again, there's a, there's a, there's something special about being the star player on a team that was terrible, and you lead them out of obscurity into you know relevance. Like I, that matters to me. You know what I'm saying? Like that. That's that's not nothing. And I'm not like Vince Carter is a much better player talent wise than Joe Johnson, but their career numbers are like pretty much identical. Like so, if if we're gonna make the case that I think everybody would agree that Vince Carter is a Hall of Famer at this point, considering yeah. as well what we've said about how everybody gets in, Vince well, Carter saying. is an eight-time All Star who averaged sixteen point seven points a game for his career. Joe Johnson is a seven-time All and made only two All NBA teams. Joe Johnson is a seven-time All Star who made one All NBA team and averaged sixteen points a game for his career. Both guys had crazy longevity, so we, like you can say, well, their numbers are being damaged by playing a lot of years on bad on like teams where they were getting no burn. Like, well, Joe Johnson had the same thing, so I don't. So when you look at their numbers, if Vince is 
automatic, which I think almost anyone would, I think everyone is pretty much on board with, and I'm cool with that. But if yeah. he's automatic, then I don't see how Joe Johnson does have a case. I, I, I don't see that. I don't see how that, that make, doesn't make any sense to me. That's just my two cents. I don't know. I hope you guys, you guys can shoot me uh, what you guys think, of course, or, you know, or, you know, tweet our, you know, tweet our, uh, me at EJ underscore Stewart or tweet our uh, regular social media at New Generation Pod. But yeah, no, I just saw him trending. I just wanted to talk about that because I feel like, I feel like people think of Hall of Fame and because of the standard in football and basketball, football and baseball, like, yeah, if you think that standard, no way. I wouldn't even make this conversation. But when you, again, you look back and say, okay, I'm going to take a look at everybody that's in the Basketball Hall of Fame. There's a lot of suspect characters in there, man. You telling me a guy again, who's seven, also a seven out of eight years, almost a decade? He's also almost every year. And you tell me that guy is not a Hall of Famer, but we put in guys who made it once or never? I don't know. That's That, that doesn't make sense to me. Anyway, um, let's talk about Pat Mahomes, Kendall. So Pat Mahomes... Sign a record deal. It's worth up to five hundred. What label? <laughs> Not a label. He, he signed with the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, Ten years, five hundred and three million dollars. The deal goes through twenty thirty one. It's just really uh, staggering. I never thought that we'd be seeing talking about the five hundred million number. I don't want to say ever, but I thought it'd be a long time. I thought it would take at least another six or seven years, at least. We didn't get to four hundred yet, and there were baseball players that we thought could maybe approach that, and they didn't come close in recent years. And I baseball thought is a five hundred million dollar player, and he settled. Yeah, what did he get? Uh, not five. I don't think he got four. He got like three something. Yeah, he got three and change. So, and. Again, you get to the point where it's like, if Mike Trout is getting three, 500 looks like a long ways away. Now, of course, you know, inflation happens and more money comes in. And, you know, the Trout did sign for, he signed for 426. 426, okay. So he signed for four. So, so we've had a, he's only $400 million guy. But the 500 number, again, if Trout's getting 400, it seems like 500 is a long ways away. Now, again, that's basically. I think Trout could have got to 500 if you would have went on the open market, but mm. he didn't. That wasn't his desire. I mean, it's tough to tell somebody to go in the open market if you want to play in Los Angeles long term, and they're offering you 426 million dollars. So if you say, "Yeah, hold it out," you know, that seems like unnecessary. So, so with that, so with that, so with that deal kind of being the benchmark, it seemed like 500 to me was still a ways away because how many guys are going to be as good as Trout, as young as Trout? as promising a future as Trout to, like, warrant that kind of deal. Never in my wildest dreams that I, I ever thought he'd be in football. And definitely, I mean, rather, definitely not in football. And even though it's a quarterback situation, still didn't think $500 million was ever on the table. But this is where we are. The, the deal is kind of complicated in some instances. It's some A lot of it is incentive-based. Uh, but a lot of it is guaranteed. Almost all of it is guaranteed. I think four hundred and thirty million of it or whatever is fully guaranteed. Like this is not a lot that he's leaving on the table for him to actually go get by being on the roster, which he shouldn't have a problem doing unless he obviously goes under some kind of injury, some kind of uh, catastrophic situation with his career. Kendall, is this smart money by the Chiefs? Ten years, five hundred million. Um, Even on a guy as talented as Mahomes. I mean, 
when you're talking about Patrick Mahomes, if there's any quarterback in the NFL, any player in the NFL, but certainly a quarterback, that I'm making this investment with, he's the guy. He's probably the only guy. Um, NFL, the NFL today, 100%, he's the only guy. You know, I saw uh, Colin Coward made the case that Russell Wilson is the other guy that can get this kind of contract. He's too, he's too old. But yeah, to me, like, what's Wilson, 30? You know, or something like that. Like, another 10 years. You just don't know what he's going to look at. At Yeah, you don't know. I mean, obviously, we've seen in recent years, you know, quarterback is kind of becoming like starting pitcher in some instances where you (laughs) can still be maybe really good at 36, 37. But, I mean, that like, to bank on that by saying, I'm going to give you $40 a year when you're 36 and 37, that seems a little too risky. Yeah. I mean, we've all seen quarterbacks that struggle going into their. Russell's 31 now. Yeah, he's thirty one now. Come on, you're not giving him a ten year five hundred million. That's ridiculous. I know I know Colin loves Russ, but come on now. Um Yeah, the only guy I'm looking at are like the younger guys. Um even Lamar I wouldn't give a ten year deal. Only only because of injury. But injury risk. But um so he's pretty much the only guy that I do that and I feel comfortable. Um just from a just from a length perspective. The the issue that I would have, the concern I would have is the annual salary the annual cap hit seems steep like 45 million dollars a year i guess their hope is that when this kicks in because i don't think it kicks in in the next two years but that when this kicks in he will be like that that 45 million dollar number won't be as ridiculous as it looks now because you know i think he's making like 12 million more than the next quarterback which i think is russell wilson but uh, I think he's making like twelve million more uh, than the next guy. I think he's making like thirty-three. Um, so, like, imagine paying that times ten. <laughs> um, but I think their hope is that all right, two more years worth of quarterback contracts. If that number gets from thirty-three to then the highest-paid guy is making thirty-eight, thirty-nine, then that forty-five is probably where Mahomes should be. Um, and I just my concern would be where's the salary cap going because this deal isn't adjusted to the salary cap. That was the initial word, and that seemed to be something that made sense for both parties. Um, if the salary cap goes up, Mahomes makes money. If the salary cap goes down, the Chiefs save money. But now this is something where it's a risk on both sides because if the salary cap goes up, then the Chiefs are getting a steal at this price. If the salary cap, but considering we're in the middle of a pandemic and the NFL isn't going to be getting any revenue through through tickets, at least not the same as they've gotten in years past this season, I wouldn't expect the salary cap to necessarily skyrocket over the next couple of years. So because of that, uh, I would see it seems like the like Mahomes is the one that makes out well in this situation. Um I know he made the case, you know, he's glad that this contract was able to help them save money. But I, I just, I don't know. I mean, I see $45 million a year, and I'm just like, i saving what money? So, I don't know. I mean, if you're the Chiefs, you have to do it because he's Patrick Mahomes. And you won a championship. You won a Super Bowl. So, at the end of the day, pay the guy what he's worth. Regardless, you guys could, they could never win another Super Bowl. I know they want to they be a dynasty. They want to be the next New England with Pat Mahomes, but they could never win another Super Bowl, and Patrick Mahomes is still 
the greatest Kansas City Chief of all time, arguably. So this is, to me, this is like the bare minimum of what they had needed to do. Um, you just wonder, do the Chiefs look like the Packers do with Favre going forward? When Favre won a Super Bowl early, early in his career, not as young as Mahomes, but early in his career, and the Packers kind of meddled in mediocrity after that. They had some years, obviously, where they contended, but um, did, they, did they ever get back to the Super Bowl? I don't remember. Yeah, no, the Packers, they made the Super Bowl. They won the Super Bowl in 96. Yeah. They, then they made it back in 97, and they never went back. Yeah, there you go. So that's that's your concern, is that um, you become you become another Green Bay. But, I mean, you, you'll take that risk. And for Mahomes, you'll take the money. $500 million is not a number you, pass, you, you turn down. Yeah. Now, to be fair, I want to be clear. I know I said that $400 million was guaranteed. It's... Not nece- that's not necessarily true. He there a lot of that money is comes from roster bonuses. Hundred and forty million of it is completely fully guaranteed. The rest of it comes from him making the roster every year and then the money is automatic once he's on the roster. Again, he's Pat Mahomes, at least for the next four or five years, the idea that he's gonna be cut somehow before the money comes in seems unlikely. But the reason why I'm gonna say this is good money is because as we learn the NFL, unlike uh, the NBA, MLB, renegotiations are and restructuring are completely acceptable and completely legal. So to me, you don't. They didn't get. They got ahead of any situation that could become hairy. Where you're talking about, you know, getting the guy his money that he deserves after winning a Super Bowl and a messy negotiation that gets that potentially can get ugly. All that got avoided by them jumping ahead of the curve two years in advance. And, they I mean, they had to do a deal this summer, I mean, to be honest, to me, because he, he was making, like, no bread the next two years. Like, he was making, like, 800000 uh this year. And then he did have $21 million signing bonus, a uh, roster bonus, rather, coming up for 2021. But still, like, the best quarterback in the league is making 80000 Like, that's that's crazy. So, I, I knew that they had to do something to, to make that work. So, so but nonetheless... Everybody's happy here. You know, Mahomes has this record deal that everybody's going to talk about the rest of his life and the rest of sports history, really. Um, the Chiefs now have this goodwill with their young quarterback who they just won the Super Bowl, goodwill with their fans because, you know, their fans obviously love Pat. He's the guy, first guy to win the Super Bowl since, you know, Lynn Dawson was playing quarterback for them. So uh, so it's good for the fans. And while the money, it does look daunting, when they get in scenarios where they need to get a guy here or a guy there, he'll give up some of the money. And he has so much to give up that I think he'll be okay. So to me, I think that when we look at how daunting these, these dollars look, they do look daunting today. But when it would really hurt them, where to me that's probably, I mean, I'm looking at the roster, the, the breakdown now. I mean, once he gets to like 2024, really 2025, when he's making $40 million a year, that's when like there there may be some issues where like yeah I don't know if you can we can do this. That's you know four years from now. You know we like we would have been so beyond this contract at that point. Yeah, cross that bridge. We are yeah, they'll cross that bridge when there's a receiver or offensive tackle they really want to get. That's the last piece to winning a title. He'll give up some change. He has, he's got he's getting five hundred million. <laughs> How hard could it be? So um so no I think I think that he'll be cool. Um, 
you know, they are running the risk of, of having trouble, you know, really piecing together a full roster by giving the quarterback that much. Um, and we've kind of seen it with Aaron Rodgers. We've seen it with Andrew Luck. You can't, in this league, you can't just think because you have an, an elite quarterback that that just means you're good. Because keeping that guy upright or getting that guy the, the right weapons to actually, you know, realize their full potential is also is just as essential as getting the right guy behind behind the center. We've seen that with Aaron, Andrew Luck being really, really beaten out of the game. We've seen that with Aaron Rodgers having to constantly do uh, more with less and them being unable to get back to the Super Bowl after winning that one Super Bowl. You know, now it must have been like a decade ago at this point. At least that's what it feels like. Like... They run the risk of that. You know, both of those guys, you know, they had big deals. And those teams didn't really do anything besides securing those guys long term. And now, again, the Colts, Andrew Luck's gone. And now the Packers situation, we're doing the Andrew, Andrew Aaron Rodgers remix with Jordan Love. So, And they no Super Bowl since Aaron last won one. So that's, that is a risk. And that's something they got to worry about. But, again, it's similar to the money, I think, is across your bridge, cross that bridge when you get there. Mahomes is great. You can't let him go. Everybody's happy here. I don't see too much of a downside in the near future. And really, football is really kind of like a year-to-year sport for everybody involved. And you know this, Kendall, being part, you know, kind of involved with the organization. Yeah. You know, you're as good as as you are. You're as good as you were yesterday, pretty much. And if yep. you know, if yesterday you stunk, you could be out the door. So, so that and that doesn't go for just the player. That goes for everybody in the organization. The own, the, uh, not the owner, obviously, but the coaches, the staff, the scouting department, everybody, front office. So, when we look at the ten years and all the stuff, it's like that's good and all. But the odds that all the guys that were a part of this deal are going to be there with Mahomes if Mahomes stays there for ten years, very slim, very very slim, because things don't go right. Something doesn't go here. This guy gets fired, and that guy gets hurt, and things change. You know, I I think that there will be some hysteria amongst some people who say, "Oh man, this is a terrible deal." But geez, how do you pay one guy that much when you know the quarterback needs so much support? I think that when the time it gets really, really troublesome, they'll figure it out, basically. And and part of that is because you know some of that so much of that, so much of that money is roster bonus money I, I think that he could find a way to get give some of that up and um and and it'll be all right that'll be cool any last thoughts on this Kendall? <laughs> my last thoughts are Pat Mahomes got how much again EJ 502 million 502.6 million dollars 502.6 million dollars and why did he get that money Won a Super Bowl. Won a Super Bowl. <laughs> Won an MVP. Yep. Um, and that's the end that's the end goal. Um yeah. so the Chiefs are saying to themselves, look, a quarterback that won us a Super Bowl and won an MVP two years ago, uh, or a year ago, is worth five hundred million dollars. Um and yet uh the coach who coached him, the his office coordinator couldn't get a head coaching job. Crazy. Man, there's no NFL team wanted to pay that guy even, you know. Five million. Yeah, yeah five, five million, million a year to be a coach. Yeah, 20 million, 30 million overall to be a coach. You know, I mean, it's it's, it's wild. Yeah. Cliff Kingsbury got a job. Yeah, Cliff Kingsbury couldn't coach. Yeah, he, I mean, yeah, he did coach him in college. 
But he that's crazy. Win. He could he win. Couldn't, couldn't win any games with <laughs> Couldn't win any games with college. He got a head coaching job. The enemy coached him in the NFL to the Super Bowl. Can't get an NFL coaching job. I mean, that don't tell you what's wrong with the this league and America right, as a whole. I don't know what will. Last thing I will say on this though is, and I told you this before, man. I, I the guy who's given who 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 should be happiest right now about Pat Mahomes' deal, besides Pat Mahomes, is Dak Prescott. This ain't got nothing to do with Dak. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make that case because Dak. Look, if yo, if I'm Dak, I'm saying yo, if 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 Pat Mahomes is getting 500, I'm at least a quarter of that, <laughs> and that's that's all he needs. Like like that's like he's a quarter of the player of Pat Mahomes. I think that that's fair to say. So if you're telling me yo, can I get 150? And right now Jerry Jones don't want to give him that, and that's why he's holding out. But like Pat, I mean Pat Mahomes really like butchered the. The you know the pay scale in terms of like what we look at quarterback salaries now. I mean it's just it's just it's all yeah, over the place. Deshaun Watson's about to now. Deshaun Watson's about to eat. Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson are about to eat. They're about to eat, and and it's going to be dicey every time it happens. Again, those guys aren't as good as Pat, so they're not going to get five hundred million. But I wouldn't have said those guys were in a conversation to get two hundred million. <laughs> but how can you now say that they're not? I don't know how you can make that case at this point. Because, again, they're not 40% the player Pat Mahomes is. I think that's fair to say. That's at least 40%. Pat Mahomes is unbelievable. We all agree with that. But from a pure free market value, the the, the quarterback game is messed up, man. And, look, I'm a, I, I, I'm a Jet fan. Our quarterback is a young quarterback. He's in his third year. He's on his rookie deal. I'm nervous now. Because Sam hasn't, Sam hasn't proven much other than showing some flashes of potential. And now you, you might not have a choice, but just back up the Brinks truck because this is what quarterbacks are getting now. So I think, you know, Dak is the first happy guy because he's the, the next quarterback up to get a deal. That's why I'm saying he should be the most happiest. After him, though, I think pretty much everyone is in a position that they should all be happy because they're, they're about to get paid, man, in a way that I don't think any of them foresaw. At all, yeah, it's getting to the point now. Like, if this is like the, if this is the benchmark, how much, how badly do you even want like a quarterback that much? Like, you know, like how bad do I really want to pay my quarterback forty five million dollars if he's getting paid, you know, thirty percent of the cap, the cap, or forty percent of the cap, fifty percent, whatever that number would be? Like, if I'm drafting number one, like I'd much rather have a guy like Chase Young who's not going to cost me forty five million dollars. That's a good point. In theory, yeah. Then a guy like Joe Burrow, you know, especially when you I know, can, especially when you know the risk you're taking with drafting a high high end quarterback. Yeah, and we've seen teams be successful with game managers. As crazy as it sounds, yeah. Jaguars went to the conference championship game with Blake Bortles. Yeah, Ryan Tannehill made Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, you know, you can win with a dirt cheap quarterback if you have a great defense and all these other parts that were a great running game. So I mean, it's that'll be something that certain GMs certainly look at. Certain teams are going to evaluate and say, "Look, we can draft a quarterback, or we can sign this quarterback for long for you know 100 million or 400 million or whatever number that would be." It's still crazy to me that we got into 500 million and we like again we skipped like 300 and 400 <laughs> for quarterbacks. But um, like you can even sign a quarterback to a 300 million dollar deal, but 
you that money may be better spent on other sides of the ball if you can find it. So that's where I think Dallas is at right now. I think they say to themselves, we could pay Dak Prescott $150 million, $200 million, but uh, that's not going to make us that much better than if we were to allocate those resources to someone else uh, or other places around the field um, and other positions and then find a quarterback that, you know, is, as we saw this year, the quarterback position is getting deeper and deeper in terms yes, of, like, starter-level guys. Yeah. You know, like, Cam Newton barely found a spot. Jameis Winston yeah. had to take a spot as a backup. Yeah, I mean, Teddy Bridgewater was a backup and then played yeah, Teddy was played, a played great and then still couldn't keep the job because he was yeah. starting. He was, he, Drew Brees was the guy that had the job. Yeah. So that's going to be that's going to be team, something that I think teams realize. Wow, so he's, he's, the quarterbacks are getting – Position getting deeper outside of the guys that are going to be available in the draft every year, you may be able to find two or three guys in free agency that are starter level guys for dirt cheap. So right. I, it's going to be extremely fascinating to see how the teams with the super high end, super premium quarterbacks do versus the teams with a Jameis Winston or a Teddy Bridgewater type guy or Cam Newton, as we'll see this year with New England. Right? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, Let's go to college football, Kendall. The Big Ten announced today that it will be going to a league-only season for all fall sports, meaning the conference teams will only play each other. There will be no non-conference play for all fall sports. That includes, obviously, football, which is grabbing the most headlines because you know, college football is the biggest moneymaker when it comes to college sports. And this is a, obviously a huge move. This is all because of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, this, this conference released a statement today saying, quote, we are facing uncertain and unprecedented times in the health and safety and wellness of our students, coaches, game officials, and others associated with our sports program camp and campuses remain our number one priority. By limiting competition to other Big Ten institutions, the conference will have greater flex- great, the greatest flexibility to adjust its own operations throughout the season and make quick decisions in real time based on most current, uh, the most current involving medical advice and the fluid nature of the pandemic. So this was uh, the Big Ten making obviously a bold move here. They're the first conference to uh, Israel, sorry, the Big Five conferences to go to this uh, situation where they're going to do this. Um, what do you call it? like you know only league play or only conference play? Uh, they, there's word now that the ACC is moving to that as well. Uh, I think um, who, who had uh, Brett McMurphy? I think tweeted that earlier today. Um, there's word the Pac-12 is looking into this as well. So there could be other team other conferences that also go to league only play for this upcoming season Kendall to me this is all just punting to what feels like the inevitable that there won't be fall sports and I don't know how that's arguable at this point considering you know you had the Ivy League cancel all fall sports last week and by the way the Ivy League was also the first basically conference to be like yo we're shutting it down, homie. Like, yeah, the first conference basketball. Yeah, we the the whole coronavirus dem- coronavirus pandemic really for our college sports began with the Ivy League. You know, they were the ones canceling who said the tournament. canceling the tournament. We're done. Um, we'll hopefully see you in March, but that don't look likely. And then everyone filed suit later on, and then obviously it was all done. Now the Ivy League doing again to me what is inevitable, which is they're already saying, "Yo, fall sports, we can't do this. This is crazy." And I think these other um, conferences are eventually going to come to that, but I think they feel like, look, man, we can save ourselves a month. Why not give it a shot? And that's not, I don't think there's no harm in that. 
I know some people feel like it's, you know, it's gross and like, oh, now, you know, it's still playing with fire. Yeah, they still are. There's a lot of money, a lot of money in hands. Nobody's arguing that. But I think they, they're going to try to get this bag as, as as much as they can. You know, like they're not going to just give up <laughs> that bread. Again. Yeah. yeah, they're not going to just give up that bread. Like I, 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 they're going to do everything they can. I think they know it's futile. I mean, Gene, Gene Smith said today that he was like, you know, he's a AD at Ohio State. He said, yo, this I'm very pessimistic about this happening. Like they know what's up. But again, they're gonna they're gonna die trying to get the bag, and so I'm not. I mean, I mean, I know usually I'm the one who bangs on the NCAA for in college sports. I, I'm, I don't hate them for this because I think they know eventually this is gonna what's gonna happen. But hey, man, who knows what in a month things look a lot better, and maybe they say, okay, well, maybe we actually can somehow have you know sports you know starting more like in October than August. It, it's it's not the craziest thing in the world. I'm not saying that it's likely or that it should happen. But I think that that's that makes sense to me. Now, in regards to you know what again what I was saying before where the, this is all going, Kendall, this to me is going to a eventually a canceled fall sports season. The question I have is, do they try to repurpose college football to a different time in the year, which is something we talked about all off air? And I'm wondering if you feel like that's going to be on the table, and if you feel like that you agree that this is eventually moving towards all four sports being canceled. Yeah, I mean, the Ivy League is a conference that, unlike the other leagues, isn't uh, dependent, or unlike the schools in the other leagues, isn't dependent on their athletic revenue as much as the schools in the Power 5 conferences. Um, so they can make these decisions and kind of just, you know, they don't really care. It's about the endowment. You know, it's about the uh, it's about the tuition. Yeah, they, yeah, they just yeah, all they need is just a rich guy just give them a lot of bread to get their kids in, and that's all. That's all they need. Yeah, that's how they fund their 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 situation. But, um, yeah, I mean, college football. This is the bare minimum uh, in terms of what they had to do. Uh, it's the closest thing. There is no. There's not going to be any bubble, which makes it kind of <laughs> impossible to play a season. Uh, in a safe way, but if you're a little bubble, I mean, the closest thing you're going to get to is at least playing games regionally, but the way conferences are aligned nowadays, I don't even think that that's a good idea. I yeah, mean, yeah, when Rutgers makes that trip to Wisconsin, it's, it's not going to do any good. Yeah, man. <laughs> like, if I mean, Pitt versus Miami, what's that going to look like? I, I don't want Pitt going out of Miami. <laughs> Miami's a mess <laughs> right now. So, yeah, I, I don't, I mean, yeah. I mean, West Virginia playing as Texas, like, what's that going to look like? I mean, <laughs> yeah, there's not there's not much regional with these conferences anymore. Yeah, man, that, that that's been done for five six years now. So I I don't think that this is uh <laughs> that this is sustainable if, scientifically. You know, from a health and science perspective, this is futile. Um, it's cool, you know. I, I mean, it's cool that they're trying to do something that we can play. You know, as a fan of the sport, but um, you know, if you're talking about you know. If we're talking about what's the safest thing to do, then the safest thing to do is you got to push it back to to the spring. And then the conversation becomes what happens with the NFL draft. The NFL doesn't want to push back the NFL draft uh, for their own selfish reasons. Um, ultimately, I don't think the NFL season is going to start on time. That's my guess. Um, and if the NFL season doesn't start on time and they push that back and the college football season gets pushed back, then I think the NFL draft would be pushed back as well. And Assuming that's the case, you might see a college. You may see a college football season that still has 
the best college football players playing. But because the issue is, you know, obviously right. the, if the draft doesn't get pushed back, but college football season is, starts in February or January, nobody's you know, playing. Yeah, no, nobody, no, nobody that's guaranteed to be a top pick is playing. Draft, yeah, no one's yeah. eligible for the draft is going to play. That's going to be like you said, it's a guaranteed top day one or two pick. Yeah, it'd be a wait. It's a waste of time. It's a, it's a too big of a risk and. You know, I mean, I don't know if it's going to be a deal in terms of combines and things of that nature, but the pre-draft, uh, the pre-draft process is still kind of a long, arduous process. So, I mean, I I hope that the college football season, I think we will get one in the spring. Um, as a fan of a team that you know isn't that great, you know, I'm I'm not super worried about the whole NFL draft aspect of it. Because my team's not going to lose. We'll, we'll probably lose some guys, but we're not going to lose like our whole team. But if you're a team, if you're I mean, a fan, defensive line is kind of nice. <laughs> you're going yeah, to lose, lose them dudes. Yeah, we're going to lose some horses on the D line. That's going to be tough. You know, that's pretty much our whole team. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, if you're a fan of Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Oregon, that, that's, that's tough. You know, you'd be losing a lot of major guys. Oklahoma, like, you're going to be losing LSU. You're going to be losing a lot of your. They're going to lose some dudes. And LSU, if you're talking about LSU, I mean, LSU's already lost, like, their whole team. Like, yeah. <laughs> everyone else, basically, that played. Uh, so, besides Derek Stingley. So, it's 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 not ideal, but, I mean, look, at the time in the times we're in, you were, I'm watching I'm watching this TBT tournament that we talked about, about Joe Johnson, and I'm looking at it like it's March Madness. Like, this is college basketball. Um I, I'm wouldn't I I'm not gonna beggars can't be choosers. Like if we can get any form of college football and competitive uh, amateur football, like that's still um, that's still fun. So I, I don't necessarily need Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence and Jamar Chase to be out there for me to enjoy college football. That's just me personally. Yeah, I mean you know we're college basketball fans, so we're used to seeing the best players not playing in college yeah. basketball. Um, after one year, and we, you know, we, I grew up in an era where the best players just weren't playing college basketball. They were all going to the NBA. There was a point in time where I thought, actually, I think college basketball did suffer a lot. But that time between, I'd say, 2000 and whenever they did one and done, I mean, college basketball greatly suffered because you just had all these high school guys that were the top notch guys, and none of them were going to the, none of them were going to college. They were all going straight to the NBA. And it, I think, it did hurt the college game. I'm not going to say that it was like completely, you know, tarnished the game at uh, absolutely. But when you're looking at, you're watching the college game and like all the guys that are out there, nobody's the top five picks. All the top five picks are high school guys. It, you know, it does make, it does sour the game a little bit. You know what I'm saying? So, so yeah. I guess for us, I've, I, I lived that and I've lived what we've been through with the one and done. So, the idea that oh the best players aren't playing because they're gonna go to the NFL. I mean, yeah, uh, sorry, college basketball fan here. I've been living that, living like that for twenty years at this point. So it's you know it is what it is. So yeah, I I you know that's that's fine. I I agree. I, I'm I will take college football in the spring. I have no issue with that. Um, yeah, I, I feel like man, the college. I feel like the sports calendar is about to just be flipped in a way that I don't think we're fully ready for. <laughs> like, I don't think we really like, and be honest, we we probably shouldn't be. We we have more things to be concerned about, like surviving. So I I right. get that. But when this dust settles, there's gonna be a year or two where 
you're going to just be seeing weird stuff. I mean, it's starting now. It's going to start with the NBA playing games in July, in August. It's already going to start immediately. But then I think that there's going to be even greater ramifications. I didn't really think about the football and NFL pushing their season back. I guess probably because they've been working under a sense of delusion that like nothing's going to, like everything's going to be fine, that I don't even really thought about them pushing it back. I've just been like, I don't know what these guys are doing thinking that this is all going to be good by September. But, yeah, I, I, again, I think the NFL, similar to college football, they're going to try to get this bag at, by any means necessary. So pushing back the season is, is, is probably likely. I'm just wondering how far can they push it back? Like, they can't push it back to the spring. I think you got to cancel at that point. Like, to me, what they can, the best they can do is probably shorten the season. No? Push back what? The, the NFL season. Like, how far do you think they could push it back? You think we're going to be seeing spring NFL football? Um, I can't see that happen. I think they would cancel by then. You don't think that you don't think they would postpone the NFL season? You think they're going to they just cancel the NFL is in a weird position where I, they if they do spring football, I mean then then what I'm saying is really true. Then we really about to see the calendar get screwed up because you can't then have guys come back and play. In the in the in the fall in September, no, yeah, it would have, yeah, you'd have to. Spring football would be our future. That'd be it. I think it would be a shortened season. It wouldn't be. A well, season. I agree there would be a shortened season. Yeah, like but, if you start, I don't, but I don't, but I don't even know if spring. I think spring, I think to me, even feels too far ahead. Like you're starting. I'm saying start in the winter. Start in the winter. Start in the in in. Like you said, I mean, you said February. That was that was a yeah. So if you start in February, that's, that's still late to me. And you play uh, a twelve game season, ten games. I don't know how. I don't know how many games. And which, if that's the case, that's a whole. There's a whole other conversation. But I was thinking we might need like an NFL lottery or something like that because you know I don't know. I don't know if you would be, if mm, yeah. you know it'd be much easier to, to tank. You know, so, yeah. Well, I mean, ten games. Uh, not that hard, but um, yeah, you play you play ten games and ten to twelve games, and then you're you're off. You're done in three months. It's February to May. You have the NFL draft in June. Yeah, but then you're, you're still starting the next season. You can't start it in September. No, you're not starting in September. Yeah, you got to start later you're than that. Start. Remember something along those lines. Yeah, it's just like the NBA. You're slowly but surely gonna have to try and get back to normal. Yeah, um, it's gonna be it's gonna be a long sledge. I think the I think the NFL has the biggest. I think they have the biggest hurdle to getting back to normal. Isn't that so funny? Because I think the NBA. The sorry, go ahead. What do you say? It's funny because we talked before. We, the The narrative that the NFL were the lucky ones, right? playing when this all hit well i think but, because we we were under this we were under the the guys that our country had some kind of common sense fair enough <laughs> i'm gonna leave it there but we we were under the guys that our country would have some common sense so how we would look by the fall we'd look way different than how we look now and you know Silly us, we we don't have common sense, so therefore we're not where we thought we would be. Therefore, yes, now the NFL is really royally screwed. I think that, again, these other sports, I feel like they're in a position where they can. I feel like like with 
like baseball, I think is in the best position because they're just going to short the season and then they're just going to have another full off season before they have to come back again. The NBA, I think, is in a position where I think they're going to move to a time slot that's actually best for them. So I think that even if you're talking about starting again in December and Christmas time, that's great because that's where it should be anyway. And you'll have hopefully a vaccine by then and you'll be able to slowly kind of move to towards normalcy probably as the season goes along. Again, football, NFL, I think you're a mess because they, they won't be able to start on time. And then because of the, the grueling nature of the game, you can't do an NBA where it's like, okay, we'll play. And then, like, you know, we'll have a break, but it'll be fine because you'll still have enough time to recuperate. Like, no, you, you, need a full, you need a full two seasons off once the NFL season is over. Like, they, they need that time. And they're not going to get it unless they, 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 they are married to starting at a whole different time than they're accustomed to. And then, then you have weather situations. Like, you can't just start the season in December. Like, you can't just have the Packers just starting their games in 10 below weather and all their home games, <laughs> all the home games being 12 feet of snow, I mean, you know, 12 inches of snow. Like, some things you just can't do for it to work. So, we talked about this before, Kendall. I don't know why the NFL, I don't know why any of these leagues, but definitely the NFL, I don't know why they didn't just go to Hawaii. Like, to me, yeah, they could, any of these leagues, but definitely the NFL could absolutely do a season in Hawaii. Yeah, there's there's a million high school fields. There's a major stadium there. They know the state in the in the in the in the major island of Oahu well. It's beautiful place, and the coronavirus cases are they're hot, they're, they're rising, but it's not as nearly as bad as anywhere else because it's just not as many people, and they're very isolated. And you can control that environment way better than you can control anything that they're going to try to do, minus going to someplace like Hawaii. It's where the NBA should have went. I know that's that's where they were considering, and for whatever reason, they didn't pull the trigger. And now here we are with guys going into the NBA bubble with hazmat suits on. That's literally what happened today with Joel Embiid. Yeah. Like now, this is where we're at because you know they 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 somehow trusted Florida would do the right thing. Hmm. <laughs> Wonder what was wrong with that. So now, but you know, I'm, I'm looking back on this now. I'm just like Hawaii seemed like the wave. I don't know what happened. I, I know they don't have the greatest infrastructure regards to it. it's not a big place, small island, small smallish islands, how much space. But again, there's a plenty of regulation football fields considering there's a lot of football that's played in the state. It's again the coronavirus cases. I mean, I looked when you looked about it last week, it was like like 50, something like that. You know what I'm saying? Like that's and obviously every case of this is serious, but the the amount of like you know, widespread infection doesn't seem to be happening there. I don't know why nobody's, I don't know what, I would be curious, I'm sure people have considered, I'm curious what made them not pull the trigger, all these leaks. Hockey's been the smartest. They just went to Canada, which I know they got, I know Canada's like the crib for them, the NHL, but obviously Canada is how it handles this virus much better than the United States has. And we don't really hear anything about the Canada situation being a disaster because there really isn't this, like, again, this this growing, this pandemic that's continuing to grow there. You know, it's obviously not safe really anywhere, but it's the least safest here in Brazil. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's an unfortunate situation how this has gone down. But, yeah, I was just thinking about it the other day, and we talked about it, and I'm thinking about it now. When I look at the NFL, I'm like, just, just, you know, could have just sent these teams to Hawaii. You could have just, you know, they're very secluded. 
Now, the only problem is, like, 17 weeks away from your family, like, where you're nowhere near. I mean, that's a long time. That's the only thing that I could see. Yeah, to be, like, be. six hours away. Yeah, like, you can't even begin to try to get close to time home. Time difference and stuff. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. But, again, I would argue, I think there's a way you could probably bring your family with you, considering it's Hawaii. Like, I think that you could have finagled that to make it work if they really made the effort. But that's a problem to me. It doesn't seem like the NFL is making any effort to try to make anything work. It seems like they kind of just been moving along. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're just, you know, moving in, Look, moving in silence. No, I, I, I see. What I will say, the NFL is trying. I mean, they told guys no jersey swaps after the game. You know, because no, no handshakes. That's that's a very contagious uh, practice when guys, you know. Yo, the notion that they're like, yo, you can't swap jerseys, but we're gonna have you guys sweat and bleed all over each other. Have guys press coverage for sixty minutes. Richard Sherman, he can't. He Sherman can't swap jerseys with DeAndre Hopkins, but he can have him in press coverage out in the NFC West. That's crazy to me. Like I'm just like some of these things. It's it's just. But goofy. Yeah, it's goofy, man. Yeah, the NFL is they're, like, not, they're not taking like it serious the And the NBA or the TBT, like as we've seen, like they've 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 had it where, like, you're not in the building unless you tested negative for coronavirus multiple times. And if the the, the assumption is everyone in there is tested negative, and if that's the case. Guys can dap up if they want. Guys can hug. Guys can fight. Guys can do whatever because the assumption is everyone is clean, and that should be the assumption in the NFL. I, the NFL shouldn't be putting guys out there unless everyone has tested negative, of course, multiple times throughout the week. And if that's the case, what's the wrong? What's wrong with a jersey swap? Yeah, I understand. Yeah, you want to limit as much as possible, but at the end of the day, if these guys are on the field, it doesn't matter. But it's the NFL doing what they've been doing, though. It's like they they the NFL unfortunately has kind of become like synonymous with these like these gestures to make it seem like they're aware of the concern, but they don't really do anything. Like the the playing the black national anthem. It's like nobody asked for this. <laughs> the NFL nobody asked you to stop the jersey swap. Like that was not. We're way there's so many more concerning things about football and COVID than a jersey swap. But these little gestures that really don't do much is their olive branch to say that look, we're doing something. And they gotta they gotta wake up, man. Because, you know, again, I don't like to get morbid on the show, but yo, when Mark Spears, shout out to Mark Spears, said it on this podcast, I was like, Wow. I, it's crazy I didn't think about it, but he was like, "What happens if somebody dies, Dan, uh, dog? Like, like what happens in that scenario? Like, we don't want to get that morbid. We don't want to get that scary. I'm not trying to scare people on this show, but the this this virus can be fatal. And while the the instances of death for everybody that gets it, in terms of counting everybody, they're relatively low, but they're much higher than a lot of other things you get for sure." It's a deadly disease, or deadly illness, rather. And these half measures and these games that some of these leagues are playing, I'm, I'm, I like, I just feel like they're not really seeing the forest through the trees. I know, I know that the forest is the trees are a lot of money. They're all money trees. Shout out to you know K Dot and, and J Rock, but 
you got to see through those money trees, man. Because all it takes is a terrible tragedy that really not many of us can control. And then the optics of what the moves that you made looking ridiculous for your league to just be really messed up. And it's not going to be worth any of the money you'll be getting. It really won't be. And that's what I'm hoping that these leagues figure out. And, I, you know, college football, okay, canceling a bunch of games to start the season, that seems, okay, you're moving in the right direction. You saying you can't do a jersey swap, that doesn't tell me you're taking this thing very seriously. I mean, I don't. that's not harsh to me. I don't think that's harsh. That's, I don't think that's a harsh way to look at this. You telling me one one sport is saying, nah, we just can't play the first month of the season. That just can't happen right now. We'll figure out the rest later, and we don't know if there is a rest. NFL, eh, don't swap your jerseys, man. We can't do that. Come on. Like, you can't tell me you're taking this seriously in that regard. And I know it's different. You got guys making millions of dollars versus kids who are making nothing, which is their own fault. But nonetheless, fair is fair. I get there are nuances, but... Again, all it takes is a, is a terrible tragedy, and the nuances don't matter. Those little nuances, those little yeah buts, it doesn't matter if you have the ultimate tragedy happen, and then and then it, nobody cares about that anymore. When mm-hmm. if you just do the right thing initially, maybe you could avoid that kind of thing. Um, let's get to the last story of the day, Kendall. Um, this also isn't a story I take a lot of joy in, particularly because it... it deals with what I called on Twitter to be uh, a very disappointing heel turn by someone who had been in the limelight for a while now since the death of George Floyd. So Deshaun Jackson, he had to apologize earlier this week because of a post he put up on social media that was anti-Semitic. I'm not mincing words here. You know, because sometimes when it comes to stuff that's racist and stuff that's homophobic, stuff they say, you know, people think it's homophobic. Sometimes things just are and they aren't. And this is one of those situations where they are. Uh, Deshaun posted something up there that was uh, very clearly homophobic. Um, Anti-Semitic. Oh, sorry. Yeah, anti-Semitic. Yeah, sorry. I, I got thrown off there by my own examples. Um, yeah, he clearly posted something out there that was that was anti-Semitic. He, he posted a um, Instagram story. That included a, uh, uh, a basically a, a passage or a couple of paragraphs from a book, and in the book it spoke about it attributed a, a a fake quote to Adolf Hitler, talking about how I for some reason I can't find it, but it was talking about like the Jews are subjugate are are uh, extorting they're going to extort America. And then they're gonna use black the black people, America, yeah. and they're gonna use the black people to hold them down. It was nasty stuff. It was the stuff that you know, unacceptable on, on any terms. He also was posting some, uh, you know, Louis Farrakhan content on his actual feed. You know, you have your Instagram story, which is something that just appears for thirty seconds and disappears, or ten, or whatever it is, and then you have the feed, which is just up. That's just your post. Um, that you post and it stays there unless you delete it. And he posted two, you know, you know, looks like uh, videos of Louis Farrakhan who had a speech this past weekend. Louis Farrakhan, um, he's the leader of the Nation of Islam. He is 
very homophobic, very anti-Semitic. So, very problematic, to say the least, to have these things being posted on Deshaun Jackson's social media. He had to come out and apologize. Uh, he did a, I think he came out with a first, he came out with a, like a, like a, you know, like a post that was like an apology. Then he had to go on social media and apologize. And he's taking a lot of he took a lot of heat for it. Um, the, the the Eagles basically said that uh, they were quote disappointed and reiterated to Deshaun the importance of not only apologizing but also using his platform to take action to promote unity, equality, and respect. We can our continue to evaluate the circumstances and we'll take appropriate action. We take these matters very seriously and are committed to continuing to have productive meeting productive and meaningful conversations with Deshaun as well as all players and staff. In order to educate and grow, um, they said, regardless of his intention, the messages he shared were offensive, harmful, and absolutely appalling. They have no place in our society and are not condoned or supported in any way by the organization. So, on the heels of that situation with Deshaun Jackson, first of all, Deshaun Jackson was getting some support when he first put the post up there. I don't know what he was getting in terms of the story, because the story, you can't see who likes it or who messages you after you post the story but the Louis Farrakhan stuff he had J.R. Smith in his comments raising the fist he had Kevin Durant liking a post I'm 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 I'll say what I saw he had he had support from other athletes with with these posts at least with those posts and someone someone who also was supporting him is Steven Jackson now Steven Jackson of course former NBA player he's a host of the All Smoke podcast you've seen him on Fox Sports you've seen him on ESPN talking hoops and first of all, Stack has been a great voice for the Black Lives Matter movement, a great advocate for his friend and as he calls his twin, George Floyd. They weren't actually related, but they look very similar alike. So therefore they call each other twin, which is obviously you know very touching. And Stack pretty much really, you know, all, no pun intended, but blew all that stuff away with um, his backing of Deshaun Jackson, and in which he, he has said that basically Deshaun did nothing wrong and that he was only stating facts. So Stack faced a lot of heat for that as well, and he even had to go on CNN where he had a conversation with Don Lemon, in which he had to then say that he, uh, he apologized because he said that he used the wrong words and that he doesn't have hate for anyone. I don't know what to say about the scandal. I mean, here's what I'll say. Number one, I think with Deshaun, this is the problem we have when, as a as a black community, it's 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 unfortunate that we have a situation where athletes feel the need to to have to be activists in some instances. And I say that because one of the things that I heard Deshaun say in his apology that I, I felt the, the the part that made me feel sorry for him was when he said, I felt I had to educate my people. And that's disturbing to me because we are the only community where we are looking towards celebrities and athletes to to educate because we feel like 
in some ways this may be the only way people will be influenced to think a certain way or learn something. And that aspect is problematic, I think, as a community. It's something we got to really start to kind of look into why that's the case. Now, the large part of it is we're just so disenfranchised that if the scholars and the experts and the activists and the community organizers that aren't getting the attention, if they're not going to get it, then maybe we got to go to another route with someone who has a bigger platform. But that part was disturbing because Deshaun Jackson, you know, you've obviously been around him. You've been in a locker room with him. Deshaun is a is a football player. You know what I'm saying? Deshaun is not an activist. Deshaun is not some, you know, race professor who studied this for for a bunch of years. He said himself, people send him stuff and he was trying to repost what people sent him. And the problem is when you're the kind of, you're the kind of you're an athlete Deshaun Jackson where we are in a situation as a black community where we are disenfranchised. We do face racism, we do face inequality. And we're all trying to band in this together to try to figure out a way out of this as a community. And it kind of becomes an every man, you know, all is one, one for all kind of deal. The problem with that is some of the people with the biggest platforms aren't as educated enough or are are ignorant to obvious downfalls or pitfalls to some of the stuff they may be posting because they're just not up on top of all this stuff. You know what I'm saying? So to, what Deshaun posted was completely indefensible. It was completely ridiculous. It was completely abhorrent. And I, I felt frustrated because I'm like, man, this wouldn't have happened if we were in a situation where Deshaun feels the need that he has to say something on social media. It also, to me, is an issue with social media because I think that's also a big part of all of this stuff whenever we see these people get in trouble. It's the notion that I got to do and say the most outrageous thing in order to get attention because attention leads to whatever. Sometimes it leads to money. Sometimes it doesn't lead to money. Sometimes it's just attention. But because we've become so dependent on it, now people are, are, you know, they just do stuff for clout. And I don't know, I don't want to say Deshaun was clout chasing, but I do think the social media aspect of the post, I think, was telling to me that he would put this on social media because it it was going to bring attention. It was going to raise eyebrows and that all all that stuff is toxic but then we get to steven jackson kendall man like i said before i don't know i can't remember the last time i've been this disappointed in an athlete or even a former athlete doing something so offensive and so just again indefensible is all i where i could say because Look, there's plenty of we've seen plenty of people do racist stuff, terrible stuff, homophobic stuff. You know, like we've seen a bunch of just gross things by white athletes, black athletes, all kinds of athletes. But I guess this the reason why this one disappointed me so much was because Jack had been his voice had been so powerful just literally like not even like a day days ago. Not like it wasn't like he's still out there in these streets. I think he was in Flint either today or he was going up to Flint soon to, 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 you know, work with community organizers there. I mean, S- Stephen Jackson, after the death of George Floyd, really started to dedicate himself, at least to the public eye, to civil rights activism. And look, Kendall, we 
we followed Steven Jackson since he was a rookie with the New Jersey Nets. We know the kind of character Steven Jackson has been in sports circles. So I'll be honest, I don't think it's 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 not controversial to say when this all started, I was kind of like, wow, this is great, but also kind of like, okay, like, you know, is Jack is is he, you know, is he is his mind right? Is he really does he understand the responsibility that comes with this because he is somebody that has at times in his career acted irresponsibly. But he was passing all the tests. Every time you saw him speaking at these press conferences, every time you saw him meeting with people, meeting with civil rights leaders, every time you saw him, he was doing all the right things, saying all the right things. He was powerful. He was motivating. He was inspirational. And then to see him decide, you know, I'm going to stick up for it, because apparently he says he's he's close to Deshaun Jackson, which I could I could see that. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. So he knows Deshaun. And, yeah, when you see... Someone you consider, you know, a ment, you know, a mentee or young, young guy that you, you you've kind of tried to help lead, you know, lead him through his career. I can see you being upset about everybody coming after him. I, I can honestly see that. I don't, I don't see, I don't disagree with that. But to double down on supporting quotes for Adolf Hitler, you just can't. And the quotes that weren't even real, and then saying that they were all, they were, they were one hundred percent facts. You can't. Like, you just, there's no defense for that. And I think what was frustrating for me watching Jack yesterday, Kendall, was just his inability until late at night, finally with Don Lemon asking him very basic, simple questions, and him acting like he was in a gotcha journal situation until he finally admitted that he should apologize. To see him spend all day being so defensive, saying, I only have love for all, and yet saying, I stand by these anti-Semitic comments, it was just... Yeah, I couldn't wrap my brain around it because I'm like, I and I because I feel like I do feel like Stack means well, and I don't think he's anti-Semitic. I'm not Jewish, so if a Jewish person feels that way, that's I, I I'm not even yeah you have it because there's nothing he's doing. To, there's nothing for me to, to argue with you about. He he's not really helping himself, but I think the problem becomes when your pride gets in the way of. Um, of common sense and your anger about what this guy's gone through, which I know has been terrible. I mean, I can't imagine losing a close friend the way he lost George Floyd and then having the emotional month and a half you've had being in these streets, marching, protesting all across the country. I I don't even want to imagine having to do that for me personally. So I get what that means, but it doesn't excuse just just blatant anti-Semitic and hateful comments. And to say that I'm standing by him because the Eagles didn't cut Riley, Riley, whatever his name was. Cooper. Yeah. Like he kept saying that over and over again. It's like, first of all, you never mentioned Riley Cooper in almost any of the posts you were talking about where you were backing up to Sean Jackson. Number two, Riley Cooper had nothing to do with any of this. <laughs> Our issue with Deshaun Jackson didn't have anything to do with Riley Cooper. We all thought it was BS that Riley Cooper had a job after what happened. And anybody who had any sense did, at least. And now for you to say that and to twist it into something about Riley Cooper, when, yes, we all agree, Riley Cooper should have been gone. And it, it, the Eagles did not handle that thing well at all. But 
that doesn't excuse what happened here. And we can't just say because black people have suffered a lot, I'm not going to mince my words. Like, what does that mean? Like, this, like sometimes, man, you got to learn to take an L, and sometimes you got to learn to listen. Like, we're, Stack has been asking people for a month and a half to listen to our plight, to listen to our pain, to listen to our struggle. How then when you say something that is offensive to other people who are dealing with a different struggle than you're able to comprehend or understand because you don't live through the, in their shoes, can you just be like, nah, I'm just going to stand my ground? Like, I don't understand that. You know, it's it's I was extremely disappointed because I, I've always enjoyed Stack. You know what I'm saying? Like as a player, as a commentator, I didn't like how he slammed, you know, uh, Clyde Frazier to try to, you know, buddy up with LeBron like last year. I thought that that was clout chasing. That was beneath him, especially for a guy who had always been um, to be a guy who stood out on his own slamming Hall of Famers because you want to show love to LeBron was corny. And I never associate anything with Jackson. Jack is corny. But this is the second. This goes beyond corny even. But this is the second time where I'm just like, what is this? You know, he, he, he should know better. And it's it's the silence amongst these NBA athletes and his friends and these people who are not coming out to say, yo, man, what that what he said was wrong. And we, we you know, I'm going to talk to him and say, yo, that was that wasn't it. Like the fact that we don't have a bunch of athletes saying that it, it and the end of the day hurts our cause because now people say, oh, wow, look, we were out there in the streets with you because, look, I'm in New York City. I live in Forest Hills. I saw a lot of people that were out here protesting in my neighborhood or protesting in the city as a whole. There were some protests that were majority white. So there are people out there, and a lot of them, especially in New York City, a lot of them are Jewish. So there are a lot of people out there who have decided to join this movement, and you're just going to not have any respect for them? And to just basically say, well, you know, just because you don't like my words doesn't mean what I'm saying is false? When you're, the words you're saying are a fake quote from Hitler? Like, Kendall, where am I? Am I off on any of this? Is this not completely ridiculous? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the Stephen Jackson thing. First, the Deshaun Jackson thing. Look, Deshaun Jackson, um, what he did and what he said was very, very wrong. Um, you know, I think it, it was very, is just it was very unfortunate and disappointing. Um, and. But I'm glad that he he quickly kind of realized that, and you know he apologized pretty quickly. You know, and I think look, playing you know for a team that has a you know a Jewish owner and a Jewish uh, GM and president, uh, vice president, um, you know it makes makes it easier to make to or makes it of more more importance for you to even to to come out and denounce everything that you had said, but. Um, but no, I mean, I, so I, look, the, the Deshaun Jackson thing, I don't necessarily feel one way or the other in terms of whether or not he should be cut or, or regardless, you know, whether they should keep him. I mean, I think it's up to the organization, um, to make that decision. Um, if there's any organization that I'll, I'll give that decision to again, because they have a Jewish owner and a Jewish GM, I, you know, that, that's their call. It's their call, not mine. Um, but I definitely do. I, I think the Riley Cooper thing is irrelevant 
is a relevant thing to mention when you talk about whether or not Sean Jackson should have a job or not, you know. But in terms of using Riley Cooper as a reason why Deshaun Jackson, what he said wasn't that bad, is an awful is an awful example. Because Riley Cooper, uh, what he said was the lowest of the low. Um, and that's not a standard that anybody should be holding themselves should exactly. be holding themselves to. Yeah, you know, you should be trying to be better than Riley Cooper. Right? Who wants to be like Riley Cooper? You know, drunk at a at a country concert. You know, that's the you never want to be that guy. So, um, so to me, like the Riley Cooper thing is not not applicable uh, when you're talking about justifying what Sean Jackson posted. I'll say, look, when it comes to the decision making of of a, of a team, that's a whole other conversation. That's where the Riley Cooper thing was bad. Not. Oh yeah, Riley Cooper. He, you know, he said his thing, and nobody cared. No, no, we cared, and he he got a job. The team rallied around him. Mike Vick and those guys rallied rallied around him, and the organization he got a job. So I think look, Deshaun Jackson. If the team wants to keep him, you know, that's up to them. If they get rid of him, I'm not gonna certainly I'm not gonna cry and say, man, you know, he'll be he'll get picked up by somebody. He can still play, but no, I mean. You know, the Steven Jackson part of this is even more disappointing because Deshaun Jackson kind of, I don't think he knew what he said was going to get taken. So, like, I totally agree with that. You know, I think he thought he was just posting something that he thought was going to be enlightening. You know, we've seen a lot of guys sometimes post some odd stuff. We're like, oh, I didn't know he was into this. or I didn't know he followed this kind of stuff. And I think Deshaun Jackson must have saw something and was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to post this. He might have been in some group chat or something for all we know. <laughs> Somebody said something like this and he decided to put it on his, on his social media. And, it, it's it's odd, it's wild, but um, the fact that you know he, I think he understood once he understood the magnitude. I think he obviously he, he realized uh, he had to backtrack. Stephen Jackson, on the other hand, uh, knew the magnitude because he saw how Deshaun Jackson was getting ripped apart and decided to double, triple down on it. And this isn't a conversation about like it's just it's tough because it's not. You know, I like Stephen Jackson's. That's that's always been Stephen Jackson's thing. Is that he's 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 unfiltered and he's not afraid to be the guy that is blasted. You know, that's been his. You know that he's always he's always willing to go into the line of fire. So like, yeah, while Deshaun Jackson's the guy backtracking, Stephen Jackson very rarely would would backtrack. But this is not a situation of yeah, I'm gonna say something no one else is scared to say. Well, if that's what you're not scared to say, if that's what people aren't scared to say. It's not because they're not scared to say it. It's, or if they are, it's because they're anti-Semitic. They are scared to say that, you know. If, or, or they just, or they're they're not racist. You know what I mean? But uh, Stephen Jackson coming out and 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 tripling down in these comments to me uh, was another one where I, another example of a guy. I don't. I think he knew where people were coming from, but I think he think that there is some. There's some other side of this argument that people aren't seeing. Well, we see everything that he sees. We see we see his points. They're just ridiculous. They just none of them make any sense. A lot of them <laughs> are laced in conspiracy and yeah, you know, Rudy tunes that just I don't live by. Most people don't live by. Right. So I, I it's 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 hard for me to defend him. And look, you man, know? like again, you can't be about equality and unity and protection for all. You know people who are in danger of being marginalized and then be like, I don't care if what I say 
may marginalize you. <laughs> like, I don't, like, and that's why the Jack thing was so hard for me. On this. That's why I was having so much trouble, because I'm just like, this doesn't feel like something that's difficult to make him understand. I feel like, that's why I, I pointed to, why is nobody grabbing him and saying, yo, man, this ain't it. I don't know. I could I, honestly, I could not tell you why. And so Jack's a very defiant person. I think guys behind the scenes probably. Jack, have. I know Jack is away. I know, but I mean, he, you, Stephen A. Smith said, "Guy, he, that a lot of people try to reach out to him, he wasn't picking up his his phone." You know, I can see that because because you know Stack always been a kind of guy that you know back against the wall. He's he's fighting. That's how he is. But I, it's something something's off to me still. I don't know. Something, something is still off to me. I, I have conspiracy theories about how all this went down, but I'm, I'm leaving that off the show. But <laughs> yeah, I've told you about those, but I'm leaving yeah. that off the show. But something isn't right to me that nobody could have got this guy and grabbed him before he went on Don Lemon and continued to continue to make a fool of himself. Like when he got on Don Lemon, by the time he got on Don Lemon, I was hoping that he had some sense. And he's again, he's out there saying, "Oh, look what you're doing to me. I see what you did there." Like. What are you talking about, man? Like, you really think Don Lemon's out here to get you? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like a certain, you know, a certain interviewer in that situation, I could see them doing underhanded stuff to make you look a certain way. I don't think this conversation is the one that Don Lemon is going to do anything to make you look worse than you already do. I think he's going to try to shoot you as much bail as possible, which is what he was trying to do the whole interview. And yet Jack kept being so defensive. But I'm sorry. I'm back on this. This Deshaun apology real quick because I'm reading this statement again and he said my intention was to uplift unite and encourage our culture with positivity and light that is a lie and that's the one thing I don't like sometimes about apologies too is and I and I, here's what I say I do think Deshaun is sincerely apologetic but I've said this before on this show like don't lie to me <laughs> your apology like like, you clearly were not trying to, what were the words? Unite, uplift, and encourage with positivity and light. There was zero positivity, unity, or encouragement in uplifting or anything uplifting about that post. And I just read it again to, to give myself a reminder. I'm trying to find it before now I see. It's almost so bad I don't even want to read it. <laughs> like, like it's, that, it's that ridiculous. I don't even want to put it out in the, in the atmosphere. But, again, basically it's white Jews are, they're, 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 they're blackmailing America by keeping the black people down and they're extorting America in their plan for world dominance. I mean, do I have to go any further? Like, come on, man. Like, this is not right. And I think, I think it also maybe speaks to me more because, again, I live in New York City and we've seen a, a spike in anti-Semitic hate crimes since 45 got into office. So since 2016, every year, maybe besides this year since everybody's at home, but before this pandemic, every year, anti-Semitic crimes in particular, all hate crimes are up. Everybody's getting it. It's terrible right now. But particularly anti-Semitic hate crimes are, are up. And I also, as you guys know, and I talk about it sometimes, I work in news. And, but... Along with the terrible, you know, swastikas and all the just gross stuff you see on spray painted and stuff on the subways, what we've also had is 
a lot of these instances where these Hasidic or Orthodox Jewish members of our community walking down the street randomly and then just getting beat up or just getting tormented in some way. And I'm going to keep it a buck. These instances rarely involve white kids. And that's why this Jackson thing was like so crazy. Cause I'm like, it's like, I don't think he thinks that anti-Semitism is like even a thing or a problem. That's the impression I get. Cause he's just like, these are words. What's the big deal? Which again, there's so much hypocrisy in that. But regardless, it's like, I guess for me, when I, I live and see anti-Semitism often, it's, it's, and and what the ben, what the consequences are of of anti-Semitism being permeated in our lexicon since forty five got into office. Okay, I'm not gonna you know say how it did, but it's obvious because the numbers don't lie. So when I see the results of that, and it's people getting beat up, people getting robbed, people getting whatever, people being targeted for being Jewish, it's hard for me to to have any real sympathy for Jack. Knowing that too, and it's like, and that's why again I go back to why nobody couldn't reach him to say, "Yo, this is absolutely not it." And then he's saying, "Oh, but the Jewish guy I I talked to said it was okay." And it's like, again, I'm sure every time someone says something racist, they say, "Well, look at Jason Whitlock. He's okay. He says it's okay." You know, look at this guy. He says it's okay. Like, you how are you gonna like again the. The hypocrisy in the, you know, just like people say, you run to your black friend every time, you know, you think you say something racist. Oh, I got black friends. or I got black nephew or whatever. And he's doing the same thing. And I, I think Jack is much smarter than this. And that's that's why this was disappointing. Because it's like, you know better. And for whatever reason, you're in this crazy bag of I just need to be defiant no matter what. I'm not backing down. And it's hurtful, man. It, it hurts the cause. That's why this is disappointing because... Is you know forget about just Jackson what he's dealing with, you know I I wish him well. I don't wish anybody having to deal with nonsense, but he brought this up himself. It's even really beyond him. It's more about this is a man that we propped up. This guy was doing appearances on the Today Show and Good Morning America. Like I was seeing Jack do these spots. I'm like wow okay you know I was kind of surprised. I knew he had a such close. I knew he had a very close relationship to George, and he was in the media. But I still was like, wow, they're really putting him in these kind of spots. Someone who has been volatile in the past. But he's he's been great, you know, for years. So, you know, who am I to judge? And I and what he was saying was 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 church. He was he was he was awesome. So to see all that happen and then I said to me had the ultimate heel turn at this point in time. It wasn't cool, man. Stack you know better, man. Anyway, that's a good place to wrap the show, Kendall. I hope you guys enjoyed uh listening to this edition of new generation sports talk we'll be back next week with more sports talk on the new generation podcast network you find us on soundcloud itunes stitcher and TuneIn. uh also uh, spotify as well make sure you check us out on there check us out on youtube new generation media follow us on social media we're on twitter new generation pod instagram new generation podcast and uh facebook new generation media and uh follow me on social media ej underscore stewart on twitter Action EJ on Instagram. Thank you guys again for listening in. For Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.